Welcome to the Peak Provider NDIS podcast. My name is Chris Hall, your host, and today I have the pleasure of having Myron Mann on the line with me. Now, Myron Mann is the CEO of the Bedford Group, who is the second largest employer of people with disability in Australia. Um, Bedford is based in Adelaide in South Australia, um, and they do a variety of things, including partner with the, partnering with various organizations in the community, um, especially on the employment side, as well as offering services themselves. So um, today we're going to connect with Myron, you know, because the Bedford Group is part of what's called Alliance 20 in Australia. And what that means is that they represent the, basically the top 25 providers um, in Australia. So it's really a pleasure to have Myron on today. So welcome, sir, to the podcast. It's great to connect with you. Thank you, Chris. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. Um, so look, um, Myron, I, I look, I'm a coach, right? So I do business coaching and I'm fascinated by um, by the scaling question of disability, because I think, as we were just alluding to before we press record, um, NDIS businesses need to be run as a business, um, you know, and, and then should we say the success of that from a business point of view is the very oxygen that can be used to serve the purpose of the organization. Um, so I suppose... Um, let me open up with this, you know, Bedford is focused on employment um, and is the second largest in Australia in terms of, you know, providing those opportunities for people with disability. Um, in order to get to the scale that you've gotten to, um, what have been the cornerstones of Bedford that have allowed it to, to reach such scale? Yeah, so really Bedford is a 78-year-old um, organization that uh, had its origins, funny enough, in uh, uh, employment uh, for people who were recovering from tuberculosis after the war. Uh, and it sort of evolved into disability after uh, uh, cures for tuberculosis came over. They discovered that they didn't really need to segregate or isolate people with TB, uh, you know, as much as they were doing so when they didn't understand it. Um, and so it's been around a long time and it's always had an employment focus. But really the, the scale came has come about, you know, in the last sort of 13 years from sort of 2011 to 2024, the organization's gone. It, it, in terms of revenue, the scale's gone up and it's probably doubled in that period. So it's gone from sort of 50 million revenue to 100 million, a little over 100 million in revenue in that, that period. The number of total clients that we support have actually only increased by about 15%. So where the so you can see that there's a, a, a there's been a, a a focus on getting to a point where we we have the ability to invest in in uh, in Bedford to to support what we we do but mm -hmm. uh, the, the number of clients have declined and we may may have a chat about why that's happening in supported employment around is not just in Adelaide or Bedford, it's 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 happening across Australia. So most of that scale, Chris, has come about through merger uh, okay. with other organizations um, in, in South Australia. Uh, Bedford mer has merged with uh, Heritage, uh, which was an organization that was sort of based out of Mount Gambia, but also had uh, operations on the York Peninsula in the western uh, part of South Australia. Uh, it merged with the Phoenix Society, uh, which was another large disability employer. So over time, those mergers have, have created uh, a lot of that scale. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And then in terms of, um, I suppose it's a good segue to um, to partnerships here, because you've got things that Bedford do yourselves, I I, I believe, from an employment perspective. Um, but you also partner, um, you know, depending on the service, you've got some things to you do yourself, and, and but you kind of span everything from hospitality 
landscaping and you know grounds maintenance manufacturing and packaging right so some of them are you know in-house um, and some of them yeah. you partner with so like um could you go unpack that a little bit in terms of again how you the breadth of the service that you provide yeah so it it it's probably good to explain that that, that bedford operates from 17 sites in in south australia so we we all the way as far west as port lincoln to uh as, as far east as, as mount gambia um but clearly when we we, we talk about numbers they the concentrated metro adelaide um in in our manufacturing business um it's it, it's primarily uh it's dominated by our our partnership with bunnings we make yep. uh, flat pack furniture for, for bunnings um so it's a full manufacturing business it starts with design goes all the way to even communicating with the consumer after they bought a product if they're struggling to figure out how to put it together uh, you know so, so it's a ikea style if you want to talk about flat pack uh, furniture so sometimes it's a little bit uh difficult to figure out the instructions um yes. if you look at uh, something like packaging we would have a number of different uh, uh people that we 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 partner with uh uh and 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 primarily larger larger uh, uh customers uh but we do have some that 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 are local customers and can even be quite seasonal but because if the seasonality would come in things like we partner with the the uh the royal adelaide uh show so mm -hmm. if you're making show bags we prepare most of those show bags when the afl had their gather round here we we put all the merchandise together for the, mm -hmm. the in, in a in 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 kits that uh, that went out to the schools around uh, South Australia, uh, so we we have a lot of community partnerships with with, uh, with 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 customers in Mount Gambia, for example. We have a complete partnership with the two largest uh, timber processing uh, operators down there, and we take all of their waste. So mm -hmm. if you think about a log, for example, when they cut that log to become a structural piece of timber. There's waste around. They square it off, so we get all the rounded bits off the end, and we convert all that into decking and and uh, pickets for picket fences. Uh, and oh, that wow. goes back to Timberlink, basically, who then on sell that that product. So wow. we we the partnership with them is that they they have a very high speed, a very uh, high efficient uh, structural timber business. They don't want to be doing the the bits and pieces around the edge, so we do that for them, and then it goes back to them to. To, to sell so it eliminates basically all the waste in that industry gosh i mean this this is um there's, there's elements of supply chain integration here this is quite um fascinating like i know you've been i believe the ceo for about a year and a half at, at bedford so i'm sure that some of these partnerships have built up over you know many years but um what i find interesting is i know you've got a consumer goods background so this just like takes me back to my it days where i was doing <laughs> supply chain stuff and talking about like i used to literally go to unilever's factories in the in all the countries around the world and see how yeah. they'd go from manufacturing it to go to the you know the distribution center and then the fulfillment out to the customers like this just reminds me hugely um, of that is, you know, I believe the term is vertical integration in terms of, you know, the way the supply chains work. It's really, um, it's really innovative um, to, to say, like, how can we add value to the yeah. big players out there, whether it be, you know, manufacturing of wood or bunnings? Well, one of the things that we've done, and I, I don't, I don't ever mind sharing our strategy because I, I, my view is that we don't actually have competitors. I, I think our purpose mm. is to support people with disabilities. So if, 
if someone gets an idea from us and that helps someone with a disability, then as far as I'm concerned, we, we're achieving our purpose. Yeah. It, the, the problem you have in supported employment across Australia is mm-hmm. it has its origins in the block funding, as we know. And in block funding essentially drove businesses to create as many jobs as they could possibly create. So everyone went to the lowest value add point on the supply chain because that's where the jobs were that no one else wanted to do. Yep. So that's where we wound up as a, as a sector mm-hmm. when it comes to supported employment. And it's very hard to move from that small little piece of a supply chain that you just referred to, mm. to sort of having multiple touch points on that, that supply chain. Uh, and think of the supply chain as a value chain as well. And, and, and so increasing the value of what we do in supported employment. So there's an opportunity then to get paid a price that has enough margin to actually make that business a sustainable business. So what we're trying to do is identify in every single case where we have, we, we're trying to look at how do we touch more points on that? So if I, if I go back to the Bunnings business, we start all the way with design and we deal all the way to the end consumer and everything in the middle. That is a perfect supported employment uh, business model and it's very sustainable. But if we're just simply counting widgets and putting them in bags, which is we see quite a lot in the packaging world, uh, and, and we know why we're there because that's, that's where the jobs were and no one wanted to do them. But you're never going to make that a sustainable uh, proposition. You've got to have the ability to cross over more of that supply chain. And, and that's where we're trying to, what we call reimagine supported employment. Uh, it, but it takes time and it takes money to be able to, to transition. And, and I think that's, that's where perhaps someone like a Bedford or some of the other larger organizations you referred to in the Alliance 20 probably have a, a, an opportunity that mm-hmm. some of the smaller providers may not have is they, they, they may have a, a a balance sheet, you know, that's strong enough to help. Well, correct. Because I mean, I um, look in my business coaching days, I've also collaborated with accelerator programs with various universities. Mm. And so it, this literally reminds me not just of supply chain, but that because, you know, even those four or five, you know, partnership divisions that you've got, like each one of them is like, is that kind of mindset of truly entrepreneurially, <clears throat> what, what problem can we fix for the broader market, especially B2B? Um, that those partners, um, you know, either don't have the capacity or the inclination or, or whatever, you know, you're literally solving it for them because that's what business is. That's what value is. Like literally, yeah. how quickly can you get the solution to the customer? Um, and what 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 innovative, unique value proposition do you have that no one else can offer? Like it's, it's a true entrepreneur's mindset, actually. So I think it's, um, it's great because I'm sure that that... Um, can you tell us about some of the, should we say, the benefits that the participants get to experience as a result of that level of thinking? Because it, it's not, as you say, just seeing individual widgets. It's seeing basically a, a, an organizational structure for each division. Like what, what, what's the, what's the flow on benefit to the participants involved? Well, the flow, I mean, I think, I think it, it, interesting, we, we, we refer to it as the Bedford social supply chain. So that's how we sort of, sort of code name in, internally and and one of the things we we look at in there is is clearly clearly when you look at supported employment and i'll get to the answer to your question the, the, clearly when you look at supported employment one of the issues that 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 is sort of 
concerns people is is the the level of productivity in a in a let's say in a in a supported employment environment. How many how many you know whatever you, you, your products you're producing, how many can you produce in an hour? And that's where your cost comes from. We, we, we think the, the opportunity to automate some of those processes and to, uh, and to allow participants to then uh, work with um, technology. So for example, in our manufacturing, we're building a new manufacturing facility at the moment because the facility, the, the, the building we're in and the property we're in is really not fit for purpose anymore. It's got enough a lot of it's an old building and we, we need a new, new new building but in that process we are automating a lot of the 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 production so there'll be robotic packing for example so our our supported employees will be able to operate the robots or or you know maintain the robots or so things that we've never done in, in a in a packaging world uh, we, we've simply had a cardboard box and put put all the cut pieces of a of a flat pack furniture into the cardboard box, taped it up and, and sent it off. Whereas this will be the robot actually doing the work. And, um, and we've got some, you know, some examples of, of those sorts of things around things like um, where we do in filling of, of liquids in, in bottles, whether it's olive oil or we actually bottle gin and do a lot of different things here uh, where we've been able to automate those things and to, that, that our employees are able to then to work with the technology uh, as opposed to actually pouring something into a, a bottle, which is one much cooler thing to be doing, obviously. Uh, and, and two, it's challenging that their um, ability to actually do something different. Well, exactly. That's really interesting because that speaks a lot to your balance sheet advantage, clearly, right? Because like I, my, my extended family, my cousins and uncles and aunties back in the UK, they've, they've got manufacturing businesses. So they literally, mm -hmm. they, they have factories where they, they do this kind of stuff. And I know that they'll go over to Germany and say, right, we're spending 10 million pounds on the next machine. You know, it, it takes, um, yeah, again, it's, it, it's that supply chain attitude and that accelerator style business attitude to yeah, but it's great because it also, I suppose, like one of the many benefits is that is that it's, it's kind of, um, for want of a better word, it's it's cooler. Like it's really, you know, it's doing exactly the same cutting edge stuff that any other manufacturing business is doing. And isn't it wonderful that participants yeah. get to, you know, to get to be part of that journey? Um, yeah, so I'm sure yeah. there's many flow it, effects. It, yeah, and it and it's in the fact that it's cooler is is hopefully is going to solve one of the issues that we see in supported employment. There, there are not many school leavers who think it's very cool to come to work at a, uh, at an ADE or, or, you know, it's, it, right. it's, it, it's, it, and so there's, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's the right word, but I think there's a bit of a stigma around it. And so, uh, -huh. uh but it, it is kind of cool if you, if you, if you're there and you're programming a robot or you're, mm -hmm. or you're operating a robot, uh, uh, that's not the same as, you know, counting things and putting them in a bag or a box. So, yes. uh, I think we we as a as an industry or as a sector have kind of been lazy in the way that. And, and I think the and and this is where I'll probably will say the NDIS has done an enormous amount of good for so many people. Mm. You don't want to criticize the NDIS, but employment has been a very odd fit into NDIS for some time. And I know it has origins that, that go back. There was arguments about whether it should or shouldn't have been in there. 
But the problem with the employment in, in the IS, it's, it's just a cost reimbursement scheme for supports. It doesn't drive an outcome. Uh, and so as an industry or as a sector, I think we've been very lazy at sort of reinventing what we do. We've sort of taken the NDIS funding and tried to pigeonhole it back in the, the old block funding business model, and it just simply doesn't work. Mm. So I, I think, uh, you know, one of the one of the things that, um, that we're doing in terms of, you're, you're right, it's expensive to do this. It's, it's, you know, millions of pounds or millions of dollars to, to do this. So one of the things we've done is, we, we've set up a whole, we've set up a whole nother arm of Bedford, which we call social enterprises. Uh, now, those social enterprises are not NDIS, Richard. They are what we would refer to as open employment. Okay. So everyone's paid a full award wage. There's no supported wage in there. And that also allows us to attract external capital through impact investment. Uh, so we can actually give a financial and a social return to mm. help us pay to automate these manufacturing facilities because we're, we're going to spend $50 million over the next five years. Now, we're not going to bleed Bedford dry doing that. We're going to bring other investors along with us who are looking for that S in the ESG, which is hard to find. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's interesting. It reminds me of, um, I, I set up a charity 10 years ago that was the chairman and our chairman of and it was it was an NFP, obviously. And but I always took the attitude of run it like a business. And then it got to a certain point where I recognised I couldn't do so. I couldn't really achieve anything just on the grants, right? And yeah. my kind of shift in my mindset was from a for purpose business perspective, you can often make a greater impact uh, when you just do the social enterprise for purpose, but also for profit kind of business yep. model, um, which is kind of what you just described. Like you know, you're saying actually this this manufacturing opportunity makes sense by itself from a from an investment point of view so isn't it great that you know all different types of you know investor and, and stakeholder can be involved like the, the self-fulfillment um that, that you know it proves itself i think that's a really powerful model yeah i it's it, it has to <coughs> excuse me it has to stand up on its own yes uh it, you know it can't be um uh, something that has to be subsidized from from some other part of your your organization. Mm. Um, it's it so there's a financial return, but the financial return doesn't necessarily have to be uh, as as sharp as as it may be in the you know private equity world, or or you know, and it may not have to be as short term as in the the private equity world. But there are impact investors out there who are looking to make a difference in, from a, a social standpoint. Uh, but they still want a financial return on their money. So uh, this is where it makes sense for us to, to tap into that, that particular uh, market. So we have the two arms of Bedford. One is everything in the IS sits in one legal entity, and we've got the social enterprises that are separate legal entities so that they can actually attract uh, uh, investment, either in equity or, or debt. That's really interesting. Now, if we just zoom out for a second and talk about the broader NDIS industry, um, you know, go, going beyond Bedford, right? Let's talk about the industry levels and what, what from your point of view, because you're, you know, you're a CEO of a, a large organization, you're part of Alliance 20. Um, what are the biggest challenges that you see broadly across the industry and how are, how is Bedford responding to those challenges? Yeah, I, 
I, I, I probably have a, a slightly different view than, than a lot of my colleagues because I don't come from the disability sector. Um, I, I see this, this real lack of coordination, uh, you know, particularly um, at the at, at government level. And I see this lack of inclusion of, of all the, the stakeholders when it comes to solving some of these, these problems. So that lack of coordination I'm talking about is you've got the NDIS, you've got DSS, you've got Centrelink with the, the pensions, you've got the Fair Work Commission determining what the wages are. Uh, you know, you go on and on. And then you even got a, an Australian disability strategy, which doesn't seem to be coordinated with anything else that's going on. It seems the you know, it's, it, it to me, there's just, just the the approach is too fragmented. There needs to be a, a an umbrella approach to to bring all this together to say all these things need to work together. I, and I know that they're not working together because we have conversations with the people in DSS that around the support pension and the block of getting people to move from supported employment to open employment and the concern over their their pension. And and they're not even really aware of that they they are blocked. They the the rules that they have are, are set up originally, but they, they've not been they've not been coordinated with the objective of of government to move people into open employment. So they, they themselves are one of the biggest roadblocks to getting there. The, the other part of it is the I, I don't think you ever saw. I think Australia is in a unique position. I, I think we're small enough as a country to have the agility to actually talk about these things and 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 fix them. Uh, you can imagine trying to do that in the, the UK and the US. You probably probably will, would struggle. Um, we, but we're large enough to maybe influence how this might other people might do this around the world. Uh, but if we don't bring in the the you know the 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 providers, the government, the the peak industry bodies, the the advocates, uh, uh, the, the voices of participants. Everyone needs to be in the room when we have these these conversations, but because deep down, Chris, I actually think we're all trying to get to the same same answer. I think we're all trying to get to the same. We're coming at it from a lot of different angles, and sometimes we look like we we come we're opposites to each other when in fact I don't believe we are. That's really interesting, and then and I agree completely, especially through the lens of the employment part part, part of the uh, should mm. we say societal and cultural challenge because. Yeah. Um, you know, when it comes to disability support pensions, for example, um, it, when back when I studied economics, they, I believe the term is the got the the benefits trap um, is something like that. And the idea there is that if you're on your UDSP, um, then you know at a certain inflection point, what's my natural motivation to go out and work twenty hours a week or thirty hours a week? Because hey, I, I could sit back and do that and still get my DSP. You know, it, it kind of like what's why should I kind of thing? Is so you get trapped yeah. in that zone right and that's a that's a societal problem um just in terms of what's you know what's appropriate and fair but it's also like a risk and a liability issue because um when you've got that benefits gap for one i know it's not a benefit but it's a, it's a true disability support pension but it's the concept right um like w- the reason that's a problem is it leads to a black market of work right so then it leads to potentially people with disability going on to say a construction site and doing cash in hand jobs etc um, and they're going on and they've got no insurance. So what if they get injured or what happens if they have, you know, something kicks in where they need support from a disability point yeah. of view 
but that's a that's a black market event literally the support yeah. workers not there they're not insured they don't exist and they get injured yeah. right so it's yeah. a huge issue isn't it in terms of safety as well as the cultural problem it is it, it does and, and that's the benefit of an ndis registered uh, uh provider who you know mm. is subject to the compliance and regulation of the commission and yep. uh you know with in every incident's reported investigated you know that's 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 the benefit of all that in mm. a and I would also make the point when you, you talk about the broader community, I, mm. I think the same issue exists in, in something like uh, SIL in supported independent living. We you know yep. it's a, um, there, this, there's not a, at the moment there's a lot of discussion around what the solution is, but I'm not sure all the parties are actually mm. sitting in the right place to, to, to come to. I think that the problem there is probably very similar to employment. You know, it's uh uh, but it, it doesn't have that commercial revenue piece that you know employment does. But um, that's a problem that's got to be solved because you're talking about a very small number of participants that are that are that are, that are quite equates to about a third of the NDIS spin. Uh, yes, yes, it, it does. It's interesting, and uh, there are a third of the you know the the, the sill part of the sector is there's the third monetarily, but in terms of like agency managed participants in terms of quantity participants is about 10 or 12 percent of the market so yeah. like there's a much smaller number of participants and and every provider is wanting to kind of monetarily they're wanting to try and get to that level where they can be a sill operator um mm -hmm. um but you know again from a almost ethics point of view and and all of that like just because someone wants to go there doesn't mean that necessarily that they're good enough to be there and of course this is why you need to be registered and this is why we've got the practice standards and the commission and i get that um, but again, it's kind of a bit of a, you know, you've got a lot of people scrambling for that goal, right? And and, and I think it's really um, important that it's done right, isn't it, in terms of the, you yeah. know, the well-being of participants. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you go back to the origins of the NDIS in, in the context of the question, mm -hmm. you know, it is an insurance scheme. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it, it wasn't really designed to be a, um, a welfare scheme. Uh, and, and yet, you know, and, and yet when you look at all the things that got included into the NDIS, I think it's very difficult to define it as an insurance scheme today. Um, so, it, and I think that's what the review panel will be looking at. Uh, mm. You know, we'll, we'll probably find out in, in October, you know, mm. uh, a little bit more. Uh, mm. and, and, mm. Well, and exactly. Review, yeah. yeah, that review may potentially be extended because I think it's probably be becoming quite a uh, an interesting a conversation that's going on between participants and providers and the government. Yeah, exactly right. Um, now we mentioned SIL. Tell us a little bit about your SIL operations. I believe you've got a place um, south of the CBD in Adelaide. I believe they're like quite. We do. Houses. We have a, a uh, now. You know, it's a. We are a very small SIL provider. Okay. Uh, uh, we we historically have been in SIL. We owned a, a, a property called Baliana, which is has has always been a a um, an accommodation. Uh, uh, facility. Uh, we are in the process of, of designing a complete redevelopment of that uh, that property. It's a very sort of nineteen late sixties, early seventies property. Um, it needs a lot of rethinking in terms of uh, the way it's laid out. It, it's a large piece of property, so we do have some issues around. Um, uh, density rules and, and things like that, that that will struggle potentially to make it economical so it'll it'll, it'll wind up being some form of a mixed mixed community a mixed uh, uh, community 
we wanted to we wanted it to become a uh, a tech hub where we could uh, do a lot of training for people with uh, disability in, in 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 the tech world. Um, unfortunately, under the NDIS, if it sort of looks or smells like education, no one wants to, to have a conversation about oh, it. Oh, such it, a shame, isn't it? Yeah, that, that's so, what needs to happen, right? You've got well, to be better integrate training. Is, yeah, this is part of the issue: is that mm. you. you you're never going to get people into open employment without the opportunity to train them. And the yes. training has to not just be in the technical side or the vocational side. It has to also be in life skills. It has mm -hmm. to be in all sorts of areas. Um, so I, I think we need to think about how that happens. Uh, mm. If you, you know, if you, again, if you go back and just look at the numbers, there's only today, well, the quoted numbers about 16,000 people in supported employment. I suspect it's much lower than that, but, mm. uh, and that's continued to, to drop over, over the past few years. So the cost of doing it is not significant. We're not, you know, the NDIs has got almost 600,000 participants. We're talking about 15, 16,000 in supported employment. And maybe there's only 20% of those that are going to want to move into open employment for whatever the reason. So you're talking about a very small number of people that, that, really do need that training in order to be a, you can't just if you i think that the thing that concerns me mm. is if and we've seen this 60 percent of the people at bedford that go into open employment outside of bedford return back to bedford 60 percent return yeah they don't stay in open employment. okay now why is that okay mm. they go off to coles or woolies or wherever and they get a job and that job might be collecting the trolleys or, or stacking the shelves or whatever it it, it doesn't inspire them it, it, it doesn't uh, they, they, they often are socially isolated uh, and 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 most employers either are scared or don't know how to deal with uh, things like intellectual disability or, or whatever um, and so they, they find the environment um, uh, too overwhelming and they they return back to somewhere where they they're comfortable uh and that's not what we're trying to achieve so mm. um yeah i think I, I i think education is part of the answer to this you know yes. I, I, I that's just why i think we have to get everybody to the table and have a conversation as to how mm. do we do this I, I thoroughly agree. I used to work in the vet sector. So, um, you know, work with RTOs. Yeah. And I think that yeah. like, you know, broadly Australia is, is very good at things like, you know, for example, there's the school-based apprenticeship and traineeship yeah. programs for your teenagers, yeah. right? You know, there's a bunch of, you know, funding that you can do for the various states and territories in terms of, you know, employment skills. Um, and, and it's set up pretty well, but it sounds like there's definitely an opportunity to, to integrate, um, the great value that the vet sector broadly does, but just integrate it better um, with, with the yeah, I think it, is, it, it needs to be. I mean, you can, training can be funded in the NDIS, but it's, it's really on the job training. It's yes. not, it, it's not a, it's not an educational setting. And so if you can imagine a, a, a campus, for example, mm -hmm. at, at Valiana, where the people with disability had short-term accommodation, there was, there was a, a partnership with, the TAFE here in South Australia, for example, uh, to you know have the right sort of skill sets there to 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 do the education. People could come and go and actually benefit from that, and they graduate out of that into open employment. It, it is it's a far better feeder into open employment than trying to get people out of the current 
supported employment providers into open employment mm-hmm. in, in my view but yeah yeah that, that's going to take some conversation at a, at, a, at a very high level it does and i think that um as well as say for example a participant being the benefit beneficiary of you know perhaps some vocationally nationally accredited courses yeah. you know where's the cert three and cert fours you know that yeah. need to be better integrated as well as yeah. that you know in, in say for example the coles and woolies example it sounds like you know inclusivity and diversity is is like is the big thing that that we all talk about nowadays right so so if that's truly to be achieved in the broader corporate world it does sound that like the the managers and the fellow co-workers of it's not about coals and woolies here but i'm saying whichever invite whichever businesses they work in and that yeah. type of training that's um it basically empowers them to know and understand how they can support um, people that are working there that might have a disability. Yeah, and, and, and I'm clearly not having a go at Coles and Woolies. It could be no, no, it's not about that. It's about the broader yeah, sector, but, like being yeah, having but, mechanisms. But, you know, we, right? we, we, we have a trial yeah. running at the moment with RM Williams here in, in um, uh, South Australia. And we've got some Bedford employees who they're looking for employees. They're trying to move as much production back from overseas into into Australia. Mm-hmm. Um so we've got, we, we, we had an opportunity to, to seek out expressions of interest to people who might like to, to work at R.E.M. Williams. So we've got, we had eight or 10 people sign up. They've taken the first two in there. Uh, they have a job coach who is supplied by Bedford and their, their NDIS plan will, will pay for that uh, job coach. So they're learning the job at, at RM Williams around boot making. And mm-hmm. uh, once they finish their probation, so at the moment they are a Bedford employee, but they're played, paid a full award wage. They're not paid a supported wage. So they're okay. paid roughly $22 an hour. Um, once they go off of probation, they'll move to be an RM Williams employee at that point, And they'll have access to the job coach on an as need basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whenever they, they feel they need some support, they can they can bring their job coach and the job coach can come along. So this is a very innovative program by Arian Williams and Bedford sort of working together to try to figure out uh, to solve a problem that they have. They can't find enough workforce to, to bring back the production from overseas because of the, the low unemployment rate that we have mm-hmm. at the moment. But we have. One of the things I keep trying to say to the community when I go out and talk to the community is think of Bedford as this. We have over a thousand strong workforce that mm-hmm. are very loyal and very capable. Mm. We have 17 sites in South Australia. So we have floor space that you need to scale up and you don't have the, the, the capital to do it. And we also have capital. If we think a partnership with you is beneficial, we would potentially invest our own capital into helping you scale up. So, um, it, 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 instead of trying to sell cheap labor, if I can put it that way, yep. which is what a lot of people think supported employment is, it's actually not. When you actually work out what it costs, it's about $40 an hour when you put the wages and supports in there. And so it's not cheap labor. What we're trying to say is we have the ability to partner with you and scale your business and you don't have to do it all by yourself. Um, and, and so if we can kind of change the, the thinking, mm-hmm. uh, you know, around what supported employment can mean in, mm. in the future, mm. um, then I think there's, there are opportunities that we, we haven't even thought of yet. 
I love that. That's a very clear expression of the value proposition. So like when I, when I, when I'm coaching this a smaller provider, I'll say your value proposition has to be, you know, quantified and yep. differentiated, right? You know, it's literally how you stand out. And then that quantification, that's brilliant what you just said, thousand employees, 17 sites, capital, you know, like, yep. wow. You know, that, 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 and for other, you know, small providers, even if they're not in the supported employment arena, and these are the types of things that, you know, we can all do as providers to, uh, to stand out. Um, yeah. I think it also speaks to, um, you know, I think it's kind of like two attitudes that if we talk about the broader market for a second, again, for the small to medium um, providers that are growing, um, one attitude is the the dog eat dog competitive attitude and trying to, you know, grab and steal participants and all that stuff. And that's like a certain type of consciousness, right? Um, the, the attitude I like to encourage and take myself um, is, you know, look, it's collaboration. There's more than enough work for us, for us all. Yep. Um, and Great. in order to be an ethical provider, of course, you know, that, that phrase of person centered, but it really matters, right? So like, you know, your, your individual ego <laughs> or your individual profit and loss, that's not what's actually really at stake here. It's about the life yep. of the person yep. with disability. Um, exactly. So there's more than enough work. We just need to work together and find these little, you know, spots of, opportunity to work you know with one another don't don't see each other as competitors yeah but we and, and we don't i mean we no we i know you don't regular, but like, I, I we have regular like, you know. regular interaction with all yeah. of the other disability yeah. providers here in south australia yeah. um you know we 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 cry on each other's shoulder when we have to and we mm -hmm. and we we sit down and help each other solve problems when we have to and so we we regularly visiting each other and talking to each other I love that. And, you know, I hope that's a spirit of encouragement for, you know, those listening as well. Um, mm -hmm. In terms of community access, um, so I believe that Bedford um, actually took a conscious choice to rebrand community access and lifestyle into Bedford experiences. Um, can you tell us about that and, you know, some of the, the programs that you've, you know, put in place and what types of things you've, you've achieved as a result? Sure. So we run, we, we, there's a, part of our organization is referred to as day options and experiences. So day options is what we traditionally know is, is um, that, that a lot of providers provide. The experience side um, occurs uh, really on a seven-day-a-week uh, program So uh, and occurs sometimes after hours. So we do have people who might be in uh, employment who come over to experiences uh, uh, after employment or uh, after hours. So experience could include almost anything. So mm -hmm. just some examples of those sorts of things uh, are, are sailing, fishing, uh, cooking. We sponsor inclusion leagues uh, for footy and soccer. Uh, so we have teams and other providers have teams and 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 so they uh and, and an inclusion league can be really uh people of all abilities but from lots of different backgrounds and and, and often they're disadvantaged backgrounds uh that that come together and and uh play sport uh, uh people suggest activities from time to time and we try mm -hmm. to incorporate them so uh we've like when the gather round football was here we 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 bought, I think, a hundred tickets or something like that, and so that was part of the experiences that that uh, our cohort, a lot of them, would never have been to a, an AFL game, and so they had an opportunity to to, to go to that. Um, so 
we we sponsor a, a program that's part of in South Australia. There's a program called Sala South Australian Living Artists, and it has exhibitions once a year. We have an art room. We have artists here, and they they exhibit their 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 artwork in uh, in that uh, annual program and have a chance to sell the artwork. Mm-hmm. So where we do have artists, we help them. Um, if they have their own little website, we might help them in the background with administering that. Uh, everything, everything they do, we provide all the materials. But any any money they get for their artwork goes directly back to them, not 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 to us. Uh, so we do provide, and we also have uh, little uh, micro businesses. Uh, so we cool. have several rooms, several rooms set up um, where some of our experiences participants. Uh, have little businesses, uh, yep. anything from sort of painting cups to to making dog treats, uh, yeah. uh, you know, that they might do in the kitchen, and then they need to be packaged up and that sort of thing. And so we 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 coach them through how to set this up as a business. How do you, how do you record your 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 uh, financial information and all that sort of stuff? So it's a pretty broad category. Mm. So I think that's kind of why we thought, okay, let's 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 maybe take this thing away from this concept of community access and, yes. and, and living. And, and let's start talking about all those various experiences that we can provide to our participants that maybe they don't have easy access to anywhere else. Love it. Yeah. Cause I mean, what that does is it shifts the conversation into wellness, um, human expression um, and true empowerment, you know, in, in the example of uh, the small business idea, right? Because, yeah. um, you know, that, that that's how I see it, right? Like my cousin back in the UK, he has Down syndrome and, you know, and, and like <clears throat> I've seen all sorts of varying scales of quality in terms of the places that he's lived, right? And, yeah. and it, it's one of like, it's one of the things that irks me, but also drives me in terms of like wanting to actually do a better job so that, you know, as a sector, you know, you got to... Mm-hmm. We've got to make a true impact on 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 finding ways to to bring joy, you know, to, to bring joy and uh, genuine purpose and pursuit uh, to the individual's yeah. life, right? You know, that, that's yeah. really crucial. Um, yeah. So yes, it's not it's not just it's not just should we say reading off the title from the price guide, right? No, it's no. way more than that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I keep using the word internally. We have to reimagine this. Yes, um, you know that we can't just follow the script. Uh, mm-hmm. because the script's not going anywhere uh and so we have to we have to rethink this so we've got this little typical you would have seen it in all your coaching and, and we've got this typical little life cycle curve uh, mm-hmm. that basically says these are all the things we do at bedford and this these are where they're positioned on this life cycle curve so we've got some very early stage programs like some of our social enterprises uh, and we're relying on those to sort of eventually grow and shift up that that curve. And then we've got a whole bunch of them sitting over here on the the you know almost past maturity stage. They, mm-hmm. They've either got to be exited or they've got to be completely reinvented. <laughs> uh, and so we we've sort of tried to use that to demonstrate to all of our our team here. Yeah. Um, these are the ones we're reimagining over here. These are the ones we're counting on to take us forward because they're going to, they're going to want to have to support this while we do this. Uh, and it's been a, it's been an interesting way of trying to get uh, the management team and senior leadership team at, at Bedford to, to really understand the strategy and also the risk involved. So, mm. 
Gosh, I, I tell you what, it just reminds me so much of accelerator programs. It's like, it's like you're saying, hey, we've got all these organisms that are evolving and growing in at different stages and, and we need to see them from this life cycle perspective and recognize that they're not uniform and linear. They're all at individual stages and they need nurturing. They are. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, that's fascinating. And we even, we even stuck corporate overhead in the in the mature thing and said, we got to reimagine corporate overhead too because, you know, it, it is there's so much uh, pressure on compliance and regulation and, and this sort of thing, the pressure on IT, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the compression, pressure on branding and all, you know, because we know we know probably what's coming from the Royal Commission. So there's a lot, lot to do in all these areas, but you can't just keep stacking you know, cost in there. We've got to figure another, out another way to do this. So. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, I mean, it's so clear that you're doing so much to innovate in terms of, re, well, we'll use the term reimagining um, approaches. Um, what is Bedford doing in terms of embracing technology to, you know, to solve problems? Uh, well, I'll exclude chat GPT who, I, <laughs> I do love I, a bit of chat GPT, but I, go on. <laughs> I, I put your questions into chat GPT and said, what, what do you think would be, be the, what, what do you think would be a, a good a typical response? Some of them that were more global, but uh, it's interesting what you can do with chat GPT. But um, I, look, technology wise, uh, we, I, I, it's a bit embarrassing, but I would have to say Bedford is probably, it's an area where there's a, an, an enormous gap and, okay. and, a, and, a, and we haven't invested what we needed to invest. Mm. I think in some ways, uncertainty it has made it easy for our, for decisions to be made not to invest that people have looked at. Uh, well, let's, let's wait and see what the, the review has and the commission says and the yeah. fair work stuff happens. And, and, and yet it, that's, that's the wrong approach. Uh, you know, if you, if you're going to let all those external influences uh, drive your 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 sustainability, and that's mm-hmm. wrong. So we've got a lot of catching up to do. I mean, we, we this year we'll spend about two percent of revenue, two million dollars on on new technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think you know that for me that number should be four or five percent. But you know we just we got to get there. Um, I think the other thing is that um, in, in that technology is 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 really around simplifying everything we do and, mm-hmm. and stop shuffling paper and having everything in Excel spreadsheets and, and all those sorts of things. So there are, there are benefits to investing in that, that technology, but beyond that, mm. one of the things that, that does concern me is mm. the, the, the amount of, I'll just use the word waste, uh, administrative waste, Yes, you know, between NDIS and, and, and providers. I look at the the improvements in technology, all these other areas of government that, you know, my 21-year-old daughter can go on the ATO and file her own tax return by herself now. I, I don't uh, I don't understand why all this cost that's in plan management and and uh, and the and and navigating the NDIS is so difficult. Why this can't be simplified through applications that uh, providers can directly feed into this. And, and I think there's there, there big, there's big money to be saved. Uh, 
yes. if providers and the and the agency and, and participants work together. And I suspect we might hear that out of the review because I, I know that one of the top areas of concern from participants is mm-hmm. actually support coordination and plan management. And That's very interesting you say that. Um, I had Brendan Grail, um, who is a, yeah. a top CEO on, and uh, he um, made that exact point around the future of the NDIS. He said that there is, should we say, potential for identification of economic wastage it, just yeah. because there's an inefficiency of even the way plan management in particular works. Um, yeah. you know, um, and so it's not, again, it's not having to go with plan managers. They do a great, amazing job, but... But, but, you know, in this day, my analogy would be the blockchain, right? So if we talk yeah, about... Yeah. Um, I'll go exactly super- what should be happening. Yeah, well, it is, right? So I'll go, I'll go geeky for a second. Not just yeah. Bitcoin. You've got things like Ethereum. And Ethereum yeah. can do contracts. So what that means is you can have multiple parties involved. And then mm. the blockchain says, you know, these are the terms of the contract. And this is the transaction that's coming through. Have you met all the criteria? Tick, 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 authorized transaction. So like, yeah. what that, you know, to do a, um, a day-to-day example... Let's say you do conveyancy and you're buying a house. Blockchain will solve problems like that. So when it comes to, say, plan yeah. management, um, it will be an interesting thing to keep an eye out for, won't it? Because, you know, ultimately, there are so many ways that you can systematize in that, you know, yeah. literally blockchain-based contracts to say, like, hey, here's an invoice. Does the participant authorize it? Is it between a threshold? Yes, no. Like, could the, basically, could the government um, just build a technological solution that just does that? And it, it's a, it would be a scary change for that part of the sector because it might it might you know render it challenged. <laughs> I, I look, it's 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 crying out for a complete disruption. I don't think there's right. any doubt doubt about it. I mean, because there's you know you see plan managers being sold for tens of millions of dollars now. I mean, so there's a whole industry being created around this, yes. which never should have actually ever happened in my view. Right. I mean, you, you look at that blockchain technology in the U.S. Now there are places in the U.S. now where you literally buy a house while you're inspecting it through, wow. through the mobile phone app. So wow. the, banks, the banks are in, the the you know the real estate agents in. So you 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 swap a contract right there on your mobile phone by by the the fact that all that can happen in seconds, really, with blockchain technology and be completely secure. And so that's what's going to happen here I, eventually. It may be ten years before we see that. Mm-hmm. But you'll go to inspect the house and you'll say, I'll have it. And they accept the price and the whole app takes care of the rest. That's really interesting. Um, and, and then when it comes to, should we say, grassroots providers that are doing, um, you know, whatever service, whether it be a sale or personal care or community or whatever, um, I can imagine a world where basically the same thing, like here is a service yeah. agreement, dum, 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 exchange sign. You know, like it's just, yep. Yeah. Um, that's fascinating. I love it. Yeah. So look, let, let me ask you one final question. Um, you know, we've got we've got October coming up. Um, there are many things that we're watching out for in the industry. Um, you yeah. know, if you were to say what are the top one or two things that are on your uh, radar, you know, what what do you see as the things that you're looking out for in the next you know the next twelve months? Ah, uh, yeah. I look. I I suspect that. Um... One of the, I, I'm not sure what will come out of the Royal Commission. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, you know, I, I think we probably all sort of brace for, for, for some pretty harsh comments that uh, potentially could come out of the Royal Commission. Uh, I think we understand that the NDIS review and the Royal Commission and the, the, the workforce uh, sort of white paper will all come down about the same time. 
the next budget in May is an election budget. So you would you would think that the, some of this is going to find its way. At, at least they're going to have to sort of get a little bit of it into the election budget to start to say we're doing something. Um, I don't think government uh, will find it easy to move too quick, but they'll they'll need to find a way to to incorporate most of probably what comes out, out of those reviews in, in the Royal Commission. So mm-hmm. I, I would think there, you know, there, there there's multiple areas of of of, of uh NDIS um that that will get challenged in this, uh supported employment being obviously one of them. Okay. Uh I think I think we'll have to move to some form of um of supported employment as we know it today will probably not exist in, in three to five years time, whatever time frame you think it is. Uh, it'll be something different. It'll be something else. There will be a cohort of people that require enormous support. So there will be some model that, that we use. Uh, uh, I think there'll be, my personal view, Chris, is there'll be sector consolidation. Uh, just on the basis that that's what happens in most commercial markets. I don't see this any differently. If I, if I, uh, if I look at it that way, that uh, mm. there'll be providers that probably need to merge. There'll be providers that probably exit certain things that they're doing today because they just, and they'll focus on one. Mm-hmm. Um, SIL will be completely reinvented. It has to be. I said it's, it's, it's there are too many providers that are, that are on the edge mm. at the moment. Uh, mm-hmm. So that that's if we don't see if we don't see a reinventing of that, I think that's going to become a prob- problem for 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 the sector. Yes, is, is the, the whole so, um I think there will be an emergence. This is my view. I think, and this is why we're going down this path. I think there will be an emergence of what we call a social enterprise when it comes to employment, where it is for purpose. And it is for profit, and that profit is reinvested back in that purpose. And it will allow funding to occur, uh, you know, from external providers, just like any other capital market that, that we all might be familiar with. You know, in the uh, why should this sector be any different? And then the last thing is, I think technology will disrupt a whole lot of this um, uh, area of. of support coordination, local area coordinators, uh, plan management. I, I just can't see, for me, plan management is crying out for Uber to solve this problem <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, with, 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 with an app that makes everything so convenient. And, and I think it will. I think there are people out there who, who are starting to, to, to nibble at the edges of it. And I think, uh, you know, we're looking at it. And, and I also think you'll find that uh, potentially providers like a Bedford, uh, would have an interest in uh, investing in other social enterprises uh, mm. with disability, maybe not necessarily run by but Bedford, but just by by virtue of our own uh, balance sheet, um, we 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 would we would be looking for the same investment that that other people would. So exactly. Uh, so those are the kinds of things, and I guess the last one really is, I can I can only um, cling to the sort of concept that. Uh, there will be some form of, of coordination across the government. Uh, I, I yes. think this fragmentation of where everything sits and operating in very much in silos mm. is, is is part of the bigger issue. 
Well, it, it's it's really obvious that Bedford is leading the way in terms of um, you know that collaborative spirit um, and creating solutions that self-sustain for their own reasons. I'm sure that um, you'll be able to provide many case studies that even the government can learn from. Um, yeah. So, yeah, this has been fascinating. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome, Myron. Thank you. I, I've loved the questions in the in the in the conversation. Yeah, like likewise, sir. I've learned a lot from this. Yeah, fantastic to have a conversation today. Um, so, Myron Mann from Bedford Group, it's been a pleasure having you on. Um, just for those listening, um, and by way of um, a quick mention, my name's Chris Hall. Um, our business is Peak Provider. Um, if you're a provider that wants to scale through sales and marketing, get more leads, convert more signups, all that jazz get in contact. That's what we do. Um, Myron, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on today. Thank you, Chris. And please come see us anytime. Yeah, absolutely. I look forward to the next time across that way. Yeah. Thank you. Cheers.